The Edge is copyright 2006 by Scott Wittenberg. To learn more about this and other novels by the author, please visit scottwittenberg.com. And be sure to check out The Mayday Murders, another free podcast currently available by Scott Wittenberg. Chapter 6 Ellen opened her eyes. She stared at the ceiling for a full five minutes, as if in a trance. She felt simply awful. Her head was throbbing, and she felt nauseous. On top of everything else, she was dead tired. She could tell by the light shining through the Venetian blinds in her bedroom that it was past noon. She had to get up. She slowly arose and went into the bathroom, splashed cold water on her face. As she stared at herself in the mirror, Ellen was appalled at how awful she looked. With a hopeless shrug, she began thinking of what all she had to do today. Then she recalled she had some work to do in the dark room. She put on her terry cloth robe and slippers, then downed a couple of aspirins. Hoping that they would start working before her head split open, she slowly made her way through the living room to the kitchen. Ellen sat down at the table and smoked a cigarette as the coffee perked away in the percolator. Why did she feel so awful? she wondered. Recalling how much she had drank the night before, the answer became apparent. I must quit drinking so much, she declared to herself. She arose from the table and poured herself a cup of coffee. While she sipped at it, she decided she wasn't the least bit hungry and that she would forsake breakfast altogether. Carrying her cup with her, she went into the living room and sat down on the couch, waiting for her headache to go away. After several minutes, she decided she would be there all day waiting for a miracle to happen as her head continued to throb relentlessly. With a sigh, she got up and went over to the closet. She opened the closet door and pulled out a large footlocker. Kneeling down on the floor, she began sorting through several black and white negatives stored in clear plastic negative sleeves. She held the sleeves up to the light and critically examined each frame in an effort to determine what images she wished to print today. Several minutes later, she placed the negatives she didn't need back into the footlocker. She went over to the desk and placed the negative sleeves in a manila envelope before returning to the kitchen for another cup of coffee. The window was open and a cool breeze was blowing in, making her shiver. At least it isn't raining, she thought to herself as she topped off her coffee. She dressed quickly and after gathering up the envelope containing the negatives, Ellen left her apartment. Once outside, she stood in the corner of East 80th and 1st Avenue to hail a cab. A minute later, a yellow Ford pulled over to the curb. 33rd and Lex, she told the cabbie as she hopped into the back seat. The cabbie reset the meter and swung around the corner toward 2nd Avenue. As the cab proceeded down 2nd, Ellen thought of how grateful she was for her work. Occasionally, but only rarely, she would try to imagine herself being like the majority of the women her age who seemed to live their lives less seriously. To them, she thought, life merely consisted of working a 9-to-5 job, partying on the weekends, and sleeping around with men. They lacked any real tangible ambition, and seemed content to just live their lives safely with their friends, and then, when that golden opportunity came, marry that lucky guy. Why could she never see herself ever being like them, she thought. It was just totally unimaginable. She had tried to mix a social life with a career, but it simply didn't work. There were just too many people like David out there trying to rob women of their self-respect. David had always resented her career and would have been happy as a clam to see her give it up for him. It was always the same old story. Men are such pigs. If only she could meet someone like Daddy. Then she, hey, you fucking bastard, look at what you're doing. Jesus, these tourists don't know how to drive. 
the cabbie shouted. Ellen's mind clicked off. The cab swerved back into the lane, disaster averted. Ellen recovered. I suppose we're used to a little less hectic traffic, she said. You know, like farmers taking their cattle to market at a snail's pace, that sort of thing. The cabbie chuckled. Sounds like you've been there. No, but I used to have a friend at college who came from the Midwest. She said it was horrible. She used to live in a little town in western Iowa. She said that all there was to do was to drive around on old country roads drinking beer and watching the corn grow. I don't think I could go for that. I'll bet she's happy to be here in New York, right? Well, the last time I talked to her, she seemed to be enjoying it. I haven't talked to her in a long time. The last I heard was that she had a cute apartment in the village and was working at NBC as an associate producer. Come to think of it, I ought to give her a call sometime and see what she's been up to, Ellen said. NBC? Wow. Sounds like she's doing okay. You know, I used to be an actor. Ever since I was a kid growing up in Brooklyn, I wanted to act. One day I got my big break and I started doing commercials for television. Eventually I got a big role in a soap opera. Man, I had it made. At least I thought I did. What happened? Ellen asked. She was actually enjoying this little conversation. Not all cabbies are creeps, she thought. I got married. That's what happened. I met this girl while I was doing the soap and just went crazy over her. Anyway, she got pregnant and I married her. I decided to quit acting to help out raising our kid. You must really love them both. But wasn't it a little too much, giving up your career completely like that? Believe it or not, it was the smartest move I've ever made in my whole life. I'm happier than ever now. I was miserable while I was an actor. I drank all the time and chased women, but I always felt, you know, lonely. It was like I was wanting everything for myself and saying screw the rest of the world. Then Doreen, my wife, came along and changed all of that. It may sound weird, but I swear she saved me from herself. I was almost on the edge of suicide, and she saved me with love. Good for you, was all that Ellen could say. She suddenly resented ever talking to this pussy-whipped Puerto Rican in the first place. She looked out the window, scowling. This guy must have been a real lightweight, she thought to herself. An old man with a long white beard was staring at her intently from across the street. The cab stopped abruptly for a red light. Ellen couldn't take her eyes off the man. He just stood there staring at her with a terrific yearning look in his deep blue eyes. She was transfixed. She felt compelled to tell the cabbie to move, but she couldn't. As the old man continued to stare, Ellen felt as though he was reading her mind, pulling out every tiny brain cell and computing everything she had ever known her entire essence. Suddenly, he looked away. He started walking down the street, smiling at the little children who were standing nearby. The cab lunged forward. Damn, there are some real weirdos in New York, Ellen muttered to herself. What was that? the cabbie asked. Nothing. Just step on it, would you? I'm in a hurry, she snapped. Ellen felt lightheaded for a moment. She closed her eyes and the face of the old man returned to her. She felt as if she had seen him before, but couldn't remember when. Then it came to her. Last night, when she crossed the street to the French restaurant, he had been standing on the corner of the crosswalk. She hadn't thought much of it at the time, but she now realized that he had been watching her rather closely. She had long ago learned to avoid the multitude of stares she was frequently confronted with while walking the streets of New York, to avert any potential hassling or dangerous situations. However... She now recalled that the old man hadn't been stared at her lustfully, as most of the men on the streets did. 
To the contrary, he had had a sort of placid, almost comforting look in his eyes, and she had felt that unusual for some reason. And his clothes! She had never seen anything quite like them before. They had been almost futuristic-looking, and certainly seemed strange for a man of his age. It was almost as if he was from another planet or something. Suddenly, on impulse, she felt compelled to take another look at him. "'Turn around, quick!' she shouted to the cabbie. "'What did you say?' he hollered back to her. "'I said turn around. I want to go back to where we just stopped for the light,' she said, searching the nearest cross street. They were now at East 45th. She estimated the block where she had seen the old man, the upper fifties, just past the 59th Street Bridge. "'Go back to 57th Street, and hurry,' she told him. "'Okay, whatever you say.' He took a left on East 49th Street and headed toward 1st Avenue. The cab driver stopped for a red light at the intersection, and Ellen grew impatient. "'Can't you run this damn light?' she said. "'If you pay the ticket, you catching my drift?' he replied. Ellen dug into her purse and produced a twenty-dollar bill. She handed it over the seat to him. "'How about this? Now step on it.' The cab driver smiled as he took the twenty and pushed the accelerator to the floor. The cab screeched around the corner and sped through the traffic on 1st Avenue. In a short time, they reached 57th Street. "'Take a left here,' Ellen commanded. The cabby veered around the corner and proceeded west toward 2nd Avenue. "'Slow down after you make this turn,' Ellen said when they reached the intersection of 57th and 2nd. He wheeled the cab around the corner and pulled into the bus lane on the west side of 2nd Avenue. Ellen peered across the street in search of the old man. She recalled that he had been heading south, and she felt certain he couldn't have gone over two blocks or so in the time it had taken them to get back. But there was no sign of him. "'Keep it slow for the next two blocks,' she said, not taking her eyes off the street. "'You looking for someone, lady?' the cabbie asked. "'Brilliant deduction, amigo. I'm looking for an old man with a long white beard and spacey clothes. You could be helping me by checking out your side of the street. He may have crossed over.' The cabbie considered the twenty-note in his shirt pocket. Okay, I'll check it out. They continued moving slowly down the street, but neither of them saw any sign of the old man. Finally, at 49th Street, Ellen decided to give up the search. Oh well, it looks like we've missed him. Let's go. The cab sped up, and minutes later they arrived at the studio. Ellen paid the fare on the meter and thanked the cabbie, wishing him and his family the best of luck, with more than a trace of sarcasm in her voice. As she walked up the steps to the old renovated building, Ellen wondered where the old man had disappeared to. Perhaps he had stopped off somewhere for coffee, she thought to herself. At any rate, she was sure that she would never see him again, and now questioned why she had had the sudden urge to look for him in the first place. There had been something about him that had lured or attracted her to him, that much she was sure of. But what had it been? It certainly hadn't been a physical attraction. It went far beyond that. It had been something psychic. There was something in the way he had stared at her. Those eyes seemed to be saying, Follow me. Feeling frustrated and totally baffled, she suddenly decided it best not to give it another thought. She had too much work to do. Ellen entered the studio, took off her jacket, and slung it over one of the light stands. She then went over to the light table, switched it on, and sat down as the color-balanced fluorescent lights flickered to life. She removed the negative sleeves from the manila envelope and began the task of marking the frame she wished to print with a negative pencil. When she was finished, she gathered up the strips and entered the dark room located at the far end of the spacious studio. Ellen went over to the shelf where the chemistry was stored. She picked out the developer, stop bath, and hypo, 
then poured the chemicals into three successive trays located in the long sink that ran nearly the length of the dark room. After turning on the water to the wash tray, she doused the main lights and switched on the safe light, giving the room an eerie red glow. She then went over to the enlarger and placed one of the negative strips into the negative carrier. She tripped the switch to the enlarger and a blurred image suddenly appeared on the easel. After fine focusing the image, she positioned the easel so that she had the image properly cropped and switched off the enlarger. After placing a sheet of 11 by 14 inch photographic paper into the easel, she dialed in the estimated length of exposure and flicked the on switch of the Gray Lab timer. After 35 seconds, the enlarger light went off and Ella removed the exposed paper from the easel. She then placed the paper into the developing tray and rocked it back and forth gently. Ellen smiled to herself as she saw the image gradually come to life in the red glow. It was a candid shot she had taken of the bag lady she had seen on that fateful night of her big break with Harper's. She had become obsessed with that lady ever since, because she couldn't understand how she, and the other scores of lonely derelicts in New York, ever survived. They had no homes, just the streets, and no clothes, except for the ones on their backs, and the few they carried in their bags along with the rest of their earthly possessions everywhere they went. And yet, some of them seemed to be happy, or at least content. And even more puzzling than this was the fact that a few of them actually wouldn't accept any handouts, as had been the case with this old lady. It seemed as if they would rather rummage through the trash of the more fortunate than accept any charity. Ellen sometimes wondered if these homeless people knew something that the more fortunate among us didn't know. This possibility agonized as well as confused her. Ellen shrugged her shoulders and slid the photograph into the stop bath for a few seconds and rocked the tray. Then, just as she placed the print into the hypo tray, the studio telephone rang. Ellen hated interruptions like this while she was working, but since she had just started and it was safe to turn the overhead lights on, she decided to go answer the phone. She exited the dark room and ran over to the office desk where the telephone continued ringing relentlessly. Hello, she sputtered into the mouthpiece. Ellen, it's David. I tried to reach you at home, but all I got was your answering machine. I figured that you'd be at the studio. Well, you are absolutely right. Now what's on your mind? Ellen asked impatiently. She couldn't believe this. How could he have the gall to call her after she had more than casually asked him to get lost forever? And at work, no less. David knew she used to hate it whenever he called her at the studio. I just wanted to tell you the good news. I'm getting married. I've been out with a woman I met at the village a few months ago. Her name is Stephanie, and she's a professional singer. I'll bet she won't be for very long, Ellen thought to herself. That's great, David. I'm very happy for you, she replied with slight reserve. That's not all. I'm going to be her agent. I've already given my notice at work, and with the money I've been saving up, I'm going to start pushing for my little lady. She's a really good singer, and I'm absolutely positive that I can take her all the way to the top. I do know a lot of people in the business, as you know. Ellen couldn't believe what she was hearing. David was actually going to give up his nine-to-five to launch his wife-to-be's career? She never knew he had that kind of spirit in him. Suddenly, she felt angry. He would have never given up his job for her. But then, why should he have? She didn't need anyone to push for her. She was already there. But still, he was now perfectly content to quit his job to pursue a career in showbiz management. Ellen was dumbfounded. Had David even loved her in the first place? Apparently not. 
She had been blind all along, and deceived. She had taken so much for granted with David that she hadn't even considered the possibility they might not even be in love with her all along. Well, David, I wish you and your fiancé the best of luck, she finally managed to say. David detected a note of despair in her voice. We're sending out invitations next week, and I'd be delighted if you could come, he said. I'm sorry, David, but I'll be too busy. Just the same, congratulations. Truly, she forced herself to say. Okay, then, but let me know if you change your mind. Take care, Ellen. Goodbye, David, she said weakly. As she hung up the phone, Ellen almost started crying. She sauntered over to the dark room and closed the door behind her. She stared at the photograph of the bag lady laying immersed in the hypo tray and frowned. What are you smiling at, you stupid old bitch? Ellen felt the overwhelming urge to weep come over her again, but she shut her eyes tightly and refused to give in to it. Instead, she took the photograph out of the tray and carefully slipped it into the wash. Then she walked slowly and purposefully over to the enlarger and selected another negative to print. She made a pledge to herself that she would print the entire intended selection of frames she had brought with her in the manila envelope. That should take about all day and most of the evening, she thought to herself with a forced smile. Thank God for my work. Ellen began working in a delirious frenzy.